Welcome to the Hospitality Maverick podcast with me, Michael Tinkser. We at Hospitality Mavericks are here to inspire leaders to create heart-centered and profitable businesses from the inside out, the kind to both employees and customers love and support. Thanks to BizSimply for sponsoring this episode as our show partner. And BizSimply is the all-in-one HR, workforce management, road and operations software designed and built by hospitality experts to make every shift run like clockwork. And we join forces to help the industry to find new ways to become even more innovative in how we lead our people, how we operate, to how we grow our businesses, to how we serve our customers. Together, we want to share strategies and tools that can make the industry thrive long-term, not just survive. Growing up in Cornwall in the 1980s, let's say food experiences were fairly mixed. There were some great ones, but there were many, let's say, adequate ones at best. But actually now what's exciting is we've got a great heritage of food in this country, as as most countries do have. But we're not making the most of it right now and providing and creating the environments in which to help that food and drink to shine as best it can is something which does get me out of bed in the morning. And I see huge potential across the country, across what we might think of as food outlets now, and maybe some of those which we don't really think of food destinations now as well. They're emerging as places where people will be happy to go and get their lunch, breakfast or whatever, and not think, okay, I'm having to compromise on my food choices if I go to X, Y, or Z for my breakfast. This is Gavin Rotwell. He is the founder of Food Future Insights, and they helped leaders better understand the future trends and the best opportunity in the food-to-go and retail market. Today, we will dive into Gavin's journey and why he set up Food Future Insights and what their ultimate mission is. We also talk about the current and emerging trends in the food-to-go and retail market and what you need to be aware of in the coming years to sustain your competitive edge in an ever-changing market. Gavin shares what some of the most innovative food and drinks businesses are doing right now and what we can learn in hospitality to look outside our own sectors to find inspiration and learning. We discuss some of the huge challenges we face as an industry and how they can be solved. And Gavin also shares his significant learnings over the last couple of years and what his predictions are when it comes to the future of hospitality and food. Before you tune in, please sign up for our weekly newsletter, Maverick Top, via hospitalitymavericks.com. In here, you will find more insights into what Maverick leaders know and do, and you always catch the latest episode. If you liked today's episode, it will mean a world to me if you could rate it and leave a review of the show on either our website, Apple Podcasts, or Spotify. Enjoy. Today, uh, I will almost use the word, we're going to go on a, a safari and learn about insights about the, the you know, you know, restaurant and food, especially the food to go market. I, and I met Gavin through LinkedIn and then we met up in London and then we'll be talking back and forward. And I said to Gavin, you need to come on the, the show and talk about this. And, and now, now we're here today and I'm really looking forward to that because it's so interesting to talk with somebody that sees so many aspects of the, the food and retail world and actually travels the world to see that and actually how can we actually bring some of that insight and innovation into and uh, ever-changing world we're living in right now because that's just the reality we need to 
be innovative and we need to change and adapt and find new ways to create offerings that's exciting for for customers to be attracted to our business or brand. So, So welcome to the show, Gavin. I'm really, really excited about today's conversation. Thank you, Michael. Uh, likewise, it's a real pleasure to be here and uh, excited to be uh, to be here with you today. Gavin, could you just give people, I maybe have already introduced or butchered your, your, your profession a bit with my intro. What exactly, what is, what is your business all about and what is your story and what made you actually go on that journey of, you know, traveling around the world, looking at food and drinks and retail? So, I mean, I suppose there are a few different ways of looking at it. Maybe the simplest way to consider it is around, I I support businesses with the creation of better food experiences. And for me, that really specifically, I guess, applies to to more of the retail side. My background, which I'll talk about in a little while, is around kind of food retail analysis, but also around that food to go side and, and specifically around that food to go market how that's developing now, the story so far, where we're at right now, and some of those opportunities in the future. So again, kind of food to go is very much kind of what I live and breathe and feeds through into a lot of what I do. And what, what is like, what made you actually choose that avenue and go down that? Because, you know, you set up your own business before that, you also have, have a history where you learned a lot about this. Yeah, that that's right. And I suppose... Going all the way back to uni, which feels some time ago now, I studied European Union studies, which as a, as a UK citizen is maybe less relevant than it was. But uh, certainly kind of that time already, I kind of had that perspective on, look, we can learn from what's going on in other markets. And actually, there are often some cheat codes there in terms of ways of doing things that actually you can look at and, and import rather than having to recreate the wheel every time. So... I suppose after uni, I dabbled in you know, a little bit of marketing and a little bit of finance for a while, but then really found that it was it was research and analysis. I guess what we refer to nowadays more is around insights that really excited me. So initially, kind of I focused on the FMCG side of things, so more around consumer packaged goods, the markets for various different things, studies on a on a bespoke or customized basis as well as kind of pushing into more of that retail side of things sometimes. And it was that food retail side at that time really excited me. I guess that interaction of, of the consumer with different formats, what that looked like across different markets, how retailers were developing their strategies to be able to serve customers better and grow. And that, that led me on to, to working for an organization called Verdict Research, which was very much focused on that space. And yeah, it was a really good time there. I kind of learned a lot from some really good people. But that focus there was was UK and it was it was pan retail. At that time, I kind of thought my next step really, I want to take that broader focus again, start looking at different markets in a bit more detail and really hone in on that food retail side of things. So then I had the chance to join an organization called IGD, which is very well known on that kind of food retail side of things in the UK and also outside the UK as well. They do a whole range of great things, one of which is a strong research and insights program looking at, I guess, that food retail environment. Yes, in the UK, but also across many other kind of global markets as well. So I get the chance to to get involved in a variety of, of different things there. Yeah, absolutely kind of using and deepening my UK food retail insight knowledge, but also 
I guess, traveling the world and seeing different kind of concepts, learning about different markets, and I guess seeing different ways of doing things. And that was one of the things that really excited me around that. And one of the things I really loved about that role. As, it, as time moved on, I had the chance to, I guess, develop a couple of new work streams at IGD. One focused around actually food to go, launching the food to go insights program there, thinking about how we'd kind of shape that market, what it looked like, how we'd measure it, how we'd track it, and building that up from scratch in terms of you know, building those relationships with different operators and different customers in that space. And also alongside that, developing a retail safari program, which kind of we'd done a couple of them on a ad hoc basis before then, but that really kind of gave an impetus and and actually it was something which which really worked well and for me personally, actually showcasing the best of what was going on in let's say major European cities to and opening people's eyes to that was was a really great experience for me. It's always fulfilling when you can see what you're doing is really having a real benefit on on the people you're working with. So I enjoyed that so much. I wanted to take it much, much further than actually what was possible at IGD. So it reached a point where I thought, well, actually, why not? Why not go out on my own? Why not develop this kind of in, as its own kind of emphasis? Because there's clearly a lot of opportunity there in terms of that, that food to go side of things. And I think really positive trends in that space that lend to be a growing part of the opportunity in that food market as a whole. And alongside that kind of retail safari piece, which is, I guess, increasingly important in in today's environment, given the fast pace of change that we've got right now. What a typical that's happening is people think, what is a food safari? What what is it that you're doing? Because if you go on your website, like you have like four different places you can go on food safari. But just like to give people like a bit like an overview of what what will happen if I go on a food safari with Gavin? What what was actually happening as a is I'm a customer paying for this now. So I suppose take a step back and it probably started off with kind of a service basically as around a market briefing. So tell me what are the key trends going on in that food to go space. Tell me where different operators are going. What are the opportunities within that? Where could that go in the future? So that's one element of it that I've retained within that overall kind of safari piece. But actually when you combine that, let's say that classroom, that theoretical approach, with the practical, with actually seeing some of those trends in action, experiencing some of those growth products, tasting, smelling them, seeing the environment in which they're being eaten and seeing the consumers, the customers who are buying them, then that, for me, adds a whole new level to that learning experience. So it's around bringing, bringing my clients up to speed with that environment and also showcasing that best practice in action. So it, it really does really help accelerate that thinking around kind of where could my market go in the next few years if you can see how it's being executed successfully or sometimes not successfully in other markets as well. And I suppose then you kind of think about what are some of the benefits of that. And yeah, absolutely, there's that innovation and inspiration piece. That's that's probably the most obvious one from seeing, let's say, leading cities across, whether it be Europe or North America, the Londons, the Parises, the New Yorks of this world. Uh, but actually, I suppose from from the groups I've worked with, there are more benefits than that. One is around actually where you get teams together, you get that different way of thinking than you would do in the office. So you get that kind of collective thinking, that development and action. It's amazing how much you can achieve in in two days with getting the right people together in in the right environment. 
And often that environment isn't going to be your main office. And then the other piece around that is around how to execute. So I think for me, when I kind of look at that piece overall, yeah, I can talk about kind of different great examples from around the world. But actually, the ability of safaris to, to get people into those environments, to talk to the people doing that, making it happen on a daily basis, that adds a whole new level of learning. And how to execute successfully within that, I think there's huge amounts of benefits that people can take from that. A little bit of a cheat code in terms of translating those concepts and ultimately one which hopefully helps people avoid making expensive mistakes. It's really interesting you're saying, actually, you also make sure they talk with the, the people operating some of these concepts, actually, and actually get their day-to-day insights on what's working and not working for them. That's right. And I think, for me, it's always it's always a balance whenever you run any any kind of safari, because as, as somebody coming along and attending, I think you want a combination of things. You want, one, to understand what that what that customer experience is all about and ensuring ensuring people on the safari have enough time to do that is always really important but actually i find as well there the chance to meet different retailers different food to go specialists and have that conversation around what's working what isn't would you do differently if you're setting up from scratch now that all adds a whole new levels of learning to the experience as a whole and i think hopefully creates a, a better takeout from that session for my clients when they come along. And you've been on this journey for, you know, you call it early days. You always say to me, it's early days and we're still, we're still learning. And thought of what is like ultimate vision then for, you know, your food futures insights business? What, is, what should it change? What should it become one day? It's probably, again, coming back to, to what I started with around kind of that focus on on helping clients to create better solutions for customers and to create better food experiences. So for me, I kind of look back at a time when growing up in in Cornwall in the 1980s, let's say food experiences were fairly mixed. You probably had similar in, uh, in rural Denmark. There were some great ones, but there were many, let's say, adequate ones at best. But actually now what's exciting is We've got a great heritage of food in this country, as as many as most countries do have, but we're not making the most of it right now and providing and creating the environments in which to help that food and drink to shine as best it can is something which, if you like, really does get me out of bed in the morning. And I see huge potential across the country, across what we might think of as food outlets now, and maybe some of those which we don't really think of food destinations now as well, kind of emerging as places where people will be happy to go and get their lunch, breakfast or whatever, and not think, okay, I'm having to compromise on my food choices if I go to X, Y, or Z for my breakfast. So it's actually trying to lift the whole experience across, you know, food in general, and actually getting people aware of there's so much that still can be done to take it to the next level. Yeah, and and hope, hopefully contributing towards creating a, a better food and drink landscape. Um, what do you see if we talk about the food and landscape? I think it's really relevant also to ask you because you see so many concepts, you touch so many parts and food and drinks and restaurants and so on. What, what do you think like the, the biggest challenge is right now and, and, and in the near future as you are you're collecting all these insights when you travel around? It's a good question and I've, it's so good. I've got two different answers for it. <laughs> Focused. On, I think that core theme has to always be around the consumer 
and staying relevant for the consumer despite the changes that are taking place in the broader environment and to consumers themselves and how they live their lives. When I think about kind of wider food retail, I think really around having the right environment, providing the right solutions and services and meeting the right missions all at the right price point. I think that's that's kind of it. It's easier said than done, but that's kind of what retailers need to be doing in that space. And sure, for some retailers, that will be around offering the lowest price. But there's no way that everyone can deliver the lowest price. By its very nature, you're only going to have one or two operators able to really do that well. And I think when you look at how Aldi and Lidl, for example, have set up in that space, the efficiency of their models, if you're a, let's say, an established traditional supermarket chain looking to build your business right now, then of course, price has to, and value has to be an important element of that. But actually, in my view, at least, there needs to be more than that to get people through the door, to get them coming back more often, to drive those points of differentiation more broadly. And that, that food itself is a really important part of that. And so too is that overall experience around the food. And for me, those two should very much lie at the heart of what goes on in that space. And Again, there's some really great stuff going on, which I know we'll talk more about a little bit later on, Michael. And it kind of does show the way in terms of kind of what that future come, could hold. The other piece is when you think around food to go and food services. For me, I think relating to that staying relevant for consumers is that mission thinking. It's, I guess, an extension of what you'd see as that traditional need state thinking, but that understanding of, of what customers use you for and, and what they don't. I think it really helps focus that thinking around what are the business actions that I need to make for my business and what do I need to stop doing? Because ultimately, there's only so many hours in the day. There's only so much you can do. I think that identification of this is our core customer, this is what they come to us for, and being prepared to say, actually, they don't really come to us for that, so let's stop doing that. I think that is absolutely critical when we move forward. Do you think there's, you know, the, the challenges to talk about in the wider industry, the, the cost pressure, you know, the consumers changing behavior because of their living crisis and how it impacted you? We were talking a bit about that. We both were not turning up the heating too much in the, in the beginning of this conversation as well. And also, again, you know, lots of retail, hospitality, restaurant have this massive pressure on staffing, not, not really having the capabilities to deliver the the beautiful customer experience that you talk about actually needs really to change fundamentals part of their models, maybe for a time being or maybe forever to make the model work. There's definitely some of that. And we see that going on across different sectors, across different countries on a regular basis now. I think we were having a conversation earlier on, Michael, around kind of different businesses looking to to maybe take that specialist expertise out of the individual say food to go outlets and bring it back to a more kind of central kitchen area and and actually you can see the logic in that simplifying those processes for those customer facing staff i think is is something we'll see more of and that idea around reducing the amount of staff that you need to to run an individual store on a daily basis is is very high on the agenda of many right now and you can see when you look more broadly across across food to go and and of course, retail is how technology is starting to play a bigger role in some of that. The the digital kiosk ordering is is coming through you know, more and more, and and actually you can see how that makes a lot of sense. And I think when you can extend that through to to app based ordering as well, it does start to unlock some some different 
potentials and some different opportunities. Now, one of the things that uh, I was in, I've been in Boston a couple of times this year, and kind of one of the things that struck me was was just getting my breakfast from Starbucks. I took the old-fashioned route of going in and ordering at the counter, but for there, they had kind of a huge screen with all the orders being made up and people's names coming through. I'd say a good 70% of those orders had come through remotely. And I think that's the direction that we are moving in more and more when it comes to kind of some of those food-to-go outlets. It varies according to location and proposition and customer base, but you can certainly see how there is still more of that acceleration to come in that space around that use of technology. And I guess also that comes back to your, when you talked about where your price point are, how are you positioning your price point and what can you actually afford in your model from a customer experience and how can you make that more slick? So it's all about time and you are lower price point, you may be selling and reducing time for the customer as well. And it's quite quite interesting to see how McDonald's either buy, they have seen something nobody else saw, but really getting their future of restaurants ready for the pandemic, like having that whole digital setup, as you talk about here, like that experience of you actually own, I think they're down to one counter, you know, now. In the old days, McDonald's had in a big restaurant, eight to 12 tills. You went to a post. Now, now we're down to one. And customers more than happy and sales up because and you have the app version as well, like people coming in after they walk to the restaurant to order that, drove to the restaurant to order that meal. So it's really interesting to see what people are willing to accept as well. I think so. But one of the things around that as well is that need not be a it need not be a trade-off. Actually, when you've got that technology in space in place, one of the things that you really can do is you can you can tailor the menu better. So if you want to just see what the vegan menu is, you can do that with the push of a button. If you want to just see kind of what the, as McDonald's do, what the menu is of items under 600 calories, you can do that as well. Yeah, and I think also it's like, it's becoming more, you become more transparent in a way. And that's where technology is really great. What, what about like the human experience? I mean, as you've been traveling around and you've seen concepts you know, developing over the last couple of decades, you know, is there a struggle between technology and, and the human experience and actually keeping that, you know, you know, lots of, especially in the restaurant world, I hear a lot of operators say, I'm going to lose my hospitality feeling, so I'm not going to do anything with technology because it's not, it's a hospitality business, it's a human business. And it is ultimately a human business. I think what you have to consider is where are you best off deploying those humans? Where can they deliver the best value? And that could be in supporting customers when they use those digital kiosks in terms of uh, if you found everything you were looking for where would you like to sit today can i help you with anything around that that type of thing it's important for us not to lose sight of that but at the same time i think for any anyone running a business right now actually making the most of that kind of human resource is absolutely key yeah and so exactly also like where does do the productivity actually add most value, both from a technology point of view, also from a human point of view, where you can really leverage those sorts of things. That's really interesting to take on it. And that's one of the things is that, that how you define that productivity piece is a really interesting one to measure. Because I think, come on to this later, no doubt as well, is, is actually kind of sometimes when you look at, well, let's put it this way, the numbers behind running it, a supermarket are very different to the numbers behind running a restaurant. And actually, some of the things that if you just look at the numbers, that can lead you to the wrong conclusions. And I think 
again, kind of when you look at that productivity is of humans in that space, you have to as well look at how that adds to the overall experience. And that's, that's not an easy one to measure in terms of the overall scheme of things, but it's so, so critical to hospitality as a whole. Yeah, I think also the reality is that we need to get more out of the things we have because we can't just now keep cutting. And I think also lots of business has been through the the cutting and the streamlining with the pandemic and recovering from it. Now, exactly how do we actually, you know, leverage what you have, both in, from a technology point of view, but also from, a, from the human point of view, I guess. Yeah, no, I think I think that's right. And and actually how how do you continue to develop your team members to be able to do more, to be able to keep enhancing that you know, that customer experience and how to continue driving those points of difference in what you do versus your competitors. Gavin, when when you out there is like is there, you know, as a you both, you know, you are you are involved in, in the industry, you are you're an expert and you know, you're also a customer and a consumer in it. Is there like any significant, you know, most pressing issue you would like to see disappearing overnight that'll just be a relief to go back to your mission to ensure we get better food experiences? I suppose kind of my take on that is is maybe slightly different around that. It's more of a kind of broader industry piece. And it's all around that that recycling and that reusability side of things. For me, I kind of, I really like that William Gibson quote, that the future is is already here. It's just not evenly distributed yet. And for me, that feeds through into actually a lot of what I do in terms of showcasing different ways of doing things, different approaches, different solutions that that maybe can help people to, not just survive, but thrive in in that future landscape. And one that is kind of, I guess when I look at Germany, you kind of see initiatives like there's a recup business, which is all around, I guess, helping the reusability of cups and bowls as well in that food-to-go environment. So the idea is that as a consumer, you pay a deposit. I think it varies. Sometimes it's one euro, sometimes it's five euros. And and for that, through participating operators, actually simply you just take back the cup that's dirty, you get a new one with your new purchase in there, and there's a whole kind of closed loop around that, which is now in place in like, several thousand outlets across Germany. And that, I guess, is is just a continuation of that development of of putting that recycling, that reusable focus very much higher on the agenda there than it would be, say, where we are here in the UK or in several other markets across Europe. So I think kind of, if we could solve that, if we could get more schemes like that up and running, I think that would, that would be a really positive step towards kind of helping us you know, do a better job in looking after our planet as a whole, which, which really feels like it needs it right now. What role does food in your world, you know, food and drinks businesses and food in general play in actually making the planet a better place because i think we're all aware now that we have some challenges on this planet we are and it's all done by human activities and food is is one of the things where where we can change some things we certainly can and and i think yeah there are there are some opportunities around that it's to be honest it's it's probably not somewhere that i've looked into in that much detail but what I do see, I guess there are a few businesses that I do see kind of taking the lead in that space. I don't know if you've come across a, a business in the Netherlands called, it used to be called Yogurt Barn. Now it's just called YB. They, are, they have a very climate positive approach. And one of the things that they've just started doing is actually on, on the receipts that they print. 
they will tell you the carbon footprint of every item. Similarly, on the menus at places like Just Salad in the US, the salad bar chain, they'll talk about that what that carbon footprint is for, for individual items as a core part of that menu. So I think there are ways around that in terms of communicating what that footprint is. Maybe we could have some easy wins in that space. Some of the bigger issues, I think, maybe take us a little bit longer than this conversation to solve. But I think there are some easier wins around kind of communication and helping customers to make more informed choices around that can be put into place relatively simply. Yeah, and I guess that you are aware when it's been like, when they talked about calorie labeling, I, I said like, people are buying a pizza aware that it's not healthy, but they're going to do it no matter what if you put calories on. But again, they make an informed decision by actually knowing what the amount of calories are or a burger for that sake. And I think it's also like, it's very difficult to say, yeah, now we can't eat burgers anymore. We can't eat pizzas anymore. Because we have to save the plan by we get a more balanced approach to it and actually make sure we eat better burgers and better pizzas and then it'll probably also be better for the planet in, in in the long run. Yeah, I think that's right. That that informed piece that is important in that regard. What about you know, what is your prediction for you know, like food retail and in the coming years? What's gonna happen? It looks like it's a very tough time. And you already allured a bit to it. There's like some challenges ahead and, and right now. And there's a lot of people looking at next year and really scared about it. You know, we, there's the word recession has been used in the media. You know, there's the interest rate, there's the cost of living crisis, supply chain, you know, not enough people to do the job and so on. What is your view when you see food retail around the world? What do you hear? So you're right, Michael, in that it's, it's, it's been crazy, I think, for, well, ever since COVID started, really, in terms of the number of continuing challenges that have been thrown at, I suppose, not just food retail, but our entire industry, our entire food and drink sector. We've had a lot to cope with over that period. I think from that food retail perspective, for me, I kind of set up my business to be very much at that cross-section of food to go and retail, so where the two combine. Uh, when I look at that, blurring of retail and food service more broadly, I think my prediction would be that we're just very much at the start of that curve and that there's a whole host of new opportunities that, that can be unlocked in that space. When I, when I think about some of the concepts that I've seen, whether it's across North America or in Europe, there are many countries which are significantly further down the line than the UK. In fact, one right next to us in Ireland, which already has some great things going on in that space and is an easy day trip for us to go to from here just to learn what's going on. So that blurring of food service and retail and that thinking around, let's say, one food and drink market, for me, that's the way that I think now. And I think more businesses, more operators will start thinking in those terms going forward. And I suppose here that creates opportunities on both, on both sides. One of the things that specifically, I, th I suppose, is an area of interest right now is around, let's say, roadside, so gas stations or petrol forecourts, depending on which terminology you prefer. And there's a really interesting challenge underway right now. The traditional reason for stopping at petrol forecourts is going to diminish year on year going forward. So what does that mean for those environments? What can they do in terms of driving relevance? We only need to charge our cars, electric cars so often. So actually, many of them will need to look for a different purpose, a different 
a different function to fulfill for for consumers as a whole. And actually, for me, food is a is a really interesting opportunity within that. We already see kind of in a number of different markets, but Ireland, Norway, where that thinking has already come through. And I think more broadly, you see some quite interesting and so we say boundary stretching developments in that space. One which and I've been really impressed with over the past what 18 months has been one called Old Town Fresh, which is in northwest of the US, not too far from Boston, but mainly in around New England. And actually what they've done is they, they've brought a chef in to lead a program designed to completely overhaul what that food and drink proposition is in, in their forecourt outlets. So they've redesigned the menu. They've started to think around, okay, yep, what are the pe- reasons that people come here for now? Okay, the products that we had in place were adequate. How can we make those better, higher quality, healthier products within that? Also, we're missing a whole chunk of the customer base who are driving past every single day because of this traditional perception around gas station food and what that's all about. What can we do to solve that? What new dishes can we create within that? So he's been able to do that in, a, I think, around about 25 of, of their sites so far, actually completely turning on its head what those perceptions of gas station food are all about and opening up kind of new opportunities within that and attracting different customers to those types of locations. And that, that's the kind of thing that I'd see more of coming forward. Maybe not always given some of our previous conversations being a chef-led concept, but with better quality food meeting more distinct customers' needs for different types of missions going forward. It's also quite interesting what you're saying there is like they have already seen, you know, that the light ahead, even pandemic or recession, actually that because of the way we are transforming the the infrastructure around cars, which is going to be electric as it looks right now, it's going to be the solution and exactly rolling out in a reasonably fast pace and you see more and more electric cars on the road every year and charging station. They will actually have a redundant business if they don't think differently. And it's quite interesting because because you still need to be fueled as you move yourself around. And actually, I know a lot of people that talks about it's difficult to find good solution when I'm on the road, especially, you know, across the UK. Like, it's like, I just, I just want, some, I don't want food that makes me fall asleep because I'm still going to be driving for, for six hours. And actually, we conscious more and more aware about what we, we put in our bodies as well. So therefore, it's a great, massive opportunity, I, I believe as well, without having the insight to, uh, to actually do that better. Absolutely. And I think, from a consumer perspective, why should you have to compromise on what you want to eat just because you happen to be on the move? And I think we've already seen some huge strides in that regard coming through with better quality propositions coming through. But there is much, much further to go in terms of that regard, whether it's in the UK, across Europe, across North America. There's, there's lots of opportunity in that space. What what about you yourself, Gavin? You you know you set up your own business now, so you're a business leader in principle. Even though say it's only me in the business right now, but you are a business leader, and you know you you've been involved in the industry. And you're also a human, and you've also been through all this transformation, this speed of transformation the last couple of years. What has like been your biggest learning in all this, and what what have you been reflecting on? So I suppose. My my learning is, is probably more the the reiteration and the reinforcement of a previous learning. In that ultimately, you know, people buy from people. 
It's it's what the the salesman said to me when I, I bought my last car five or six years ago, something like that. But it's it's remains truer than ever now. And I think kind of the importance of those relationships, particularly when we as as a species have been through a time where actually we've been cut off more than previously from from building those connections. That's more important than ever. So I think that whole kind of people side of things is absolutely key. And nowhere is it more important than in that broader hospitality business. That's super interesting. Yeah, because in a way, relationship and actually we we almost, you know, we've been pulled away from each other. And it's actually been quite hard to come back as well. There's been lots of struggle coming back because after the pandemic, there has been, you know, the hybrid model that is now being redefined, I feel. But then you also have the whole infrastructure issue around trains not working, so things are cancelled. We talked a bit about before the interview as well. And um, and you're seeing people are less willing to take meetings because of the pressure, what's going on right now, actually. But when you come together and you make the relationship work, beautiful things happen. So again, the human element... We can't forget that. You're absolutely spot on. I, I agree with that. I think, I think that's right. And I think whilst as we emerged from COVID, those, those should we say, relationships with, with the firm lines have remained very much in place. Maybe some of those with the dotted lines have maybe those connections have loosened. So I think kind of probably building up some of those again will be an important development for 2023. What, what about... Is there anything, Gavin, you should think about right now? This is, I'm, I'm super excited about this right now. This is really something I can see, you know, or there could be something in your business, could be something you're observing in the market, but like that you really make believe there's like some great, great things coming ahead, even though the, the obstacles we're going through. It's a really good question, Michael. And I suppose I'd come back to maybe building on that, that blending piece before. Now, I've started my business up with that focus of, food to go playing an important role and sometimes critical role in that future of food retail and actually sometimes of non-food retail as well you kind of see how different concepts are looking to introduce say food for now propositions to create that different type of experience to drive the dwell time build a better experience engagement with their customers but i suppose from that blending piece i think some of the exciting things going on are, are kind of we're really just scratching the surface now and some of the opportunities for for different types of collaboration there between businesses who wouldn't previously have thought that they've even got in the same room together, that, that's quite exciting. So one example there is around, let's say, more, more restaurant and supermarket collaborations. Now, I'm not really talking here around, let's say, your Pizza Express pizzas in Tesco or Sainsbury's. I'm talking more around I guess how retailers, how supermarkets are starting to think more around that local relevance and how they start to work with local partners to create and define that experience that is relevant to to the individual community within which they operate. So early days in this and probably just a handful of examples that I've come across globally, but where supermarkets are working with local restaurateurs to, let's say, put their products into the stores in different formats and create i guess what ultimately should be a win-win for both sides from the restaurateur perspective he's getting access to new customers and in in this particular one which is actually a collaboration with giant in philadelphia and a local 
tacos restaurant. They've created this new food to go concept in their kind of environment in store in their kind of food court area, which again is enabling kind of the restaurateur to develop new skills, new ways of working, new expertise in that food to go space. For the for the supermarket, you get highly renowned local business selling great food associated with your brand, selling their food in your space. And hopefully that makes it more locally relevant to more of your customer base. So that's one example in Philadelphia. I think Monoprix in Paris are doing some similar things as well. Another example around that is actually from the Netherlands where Albert Hein have worked with different restaurants to effectively create meal kits that you can make at home kind of creating some of those dishes from those restaurants kind of within your home environment. So I think there's a lot to go for there and and lots of opportunities for different types of collaborations in the future. And I think ultimately, maybe we go back 10, 15 years and the ways of working and the thinking around that were quite different. And the way of running a supermarket was fundamentally very, very different from running a restaurant. And that, should we say, in some of those earlier executions did did produce some clashes and some things which didn't work out. Now, I think both sides are, are probably more willing to try new things, test out different ways of working. And I think for me, food to go very much lies at the heart of that in terms of the opportunity around that. Yeah, so exactly about how you can be available as an operator in, for the consumer in different ways with your brand and products. And also it's about how the bigger operators and players actually can tap into the independent opportunity as well, because I think it's like really interesting. You you see this as well. This is like where the independent maybe can scale their business without you know, going crazy on, you know, CapEx and needs to go and open a hundred to actually grow their business. Exactly that. And I think that that does kind of create some interesting opportunities for different types of businesses in that regard. Another thing, Gavin, I wanted to ask you about, because also I want to ask you like a more like around you being a business owner as well and likely showing up, driving your business and the safari forward every day. Do you have like any like hacks? Because lots of people listening to this, uh, this show are either, you know, they're leading businesses or they have their own businesses or they definitely have a lot of self-leadership that needs to happen to perform well. Is there any like things you do that actually makes you perform better you think you've you've found that works for you i suppose uh the one thing i would say around that is it's just every engagement every conversation you have with with a contact with a a customer or or with a provider just come to it with an open mind because actually often the question you're asked isn't necessarily the one that really needs to be answered and maybe it's just one part of that so just having those broader conversations rather than getting too sidetracked on, let's say, the specifics of of one particular question, that can really help unlock opportunities and unlock solutions for both sides. That's really interesting. So actually asking better questions and actually being willing to explore more than actually being hunting that 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 one thing actually, you know, releases so much that actually drives you forward in a very young business as yours are. I think so. For me it's trying to understand what that core need is that that underpins that question. Because inevitably, if you're running a business, big business, sometimes the way that those those needs get articulated down is in specific asks, which may or may not be a fit of who you're asking them from. But actually, if you talk around what that broader problem is, and maybe some adjacent 
challenges or opportunities linked to that as well, then hopefully that can create better solutions. That's certainly the way that I try and approach a lot of my conversations anyway. That's a bit interesting. Also, that leads me to the next thing I wanted to ask you before we wrap up today is like, also like you mentioned earlier that businesses has to play a part in making the planet a better place, especially food businesses. But what would be like your top advice for, for leaders listening in here? That actually, they want to build a business for a force of good, but they, they need a bit of direction. What would your thought be that, you know, any business leader should ask themselves or reflect on in these times? So I think the good thing around where we are with that right now is there are more and more businesses looking to push that and looking to push that prominently as a core part of their DNA. My advice, I guess it links back to, to some of the things that I spoke around earlier in that actually what you want to do as a business the chances are somebody else is already doing that somewhere else or somebody else is already building elements of that elsewhere, which might mean that you don't need to reinvent the wheel or you just need to add a few cogs into that wheel to be able to make it work for you. And I think looking at what different businesses are doing around the, around the world, I mentioned before around YB Yogurt Barn in, um, in the Netherlands, they're a great one to look at in terms of that overall kind of climate positive piece. And, but actually, in the U.S., there are many good examples as well. I think it's Dig, the uh, the salad bar chain. It, it had fundamental thinking of of leaving the world in a better place, and they found it. Yeah, absolutely. That makes a whole a whole load of sense when you're kind of setting up and running a business. But what they do, what the likes of Just Salad, what Sweetgreen do as well around that as well, in terms of helping the communities that they work in, I think is all all kind of really good stuff to learn from but there are many others i guess in our sector and also beyond that as well to, to look at and and take that best practice from more broadly super advice actually to actually go and learn from people that's already doing it and then adapt it to your world and actually you know there's a lot of questions out there that's already answered if we just go and open our eyes and, and listen and actually you know look a bit further away than you know our own country as well I think that's right. We're not doing things in in isolation here. It's not a fundamentally different landscape than it is in, in other countries around the world. So I think there's more that we can take from from building those connections and learning from from what people are how people are approaching those challenges in other markets. Gavin, is there one question you wish I've asked you and if there is, what would that question be and what would you answer it? So I suppose it it kind of comes back to some of the themes that that maybe we were talking around earlier on. You've heard me mention around that that evolution of food to go in retail, that that blurring between retail and food service. And probably then that question is, so if I wanted to get, go tomorrow on a trip to see some of that in action, where should I go and, and what should I look out for? And to my mind, I guess of many different places, and it really depends on your own particular needs state right now, I'd probably call out Chicago as a market that's, that's really impressed me over the past what, 12 to 18 months. Actually, why is that? It's because that retail and food service DNA is already fused within many different operators there. So a Foxtrot market, for example, is a convenience store business. But imagine if you're starting a convenience store business now, what you'd put into your store, what you wouldn't put into your store. Effectively, it's focused around meeting whatever food and drink related mission you might have at any time of day or indeed night. So, yeah, you can go there for your breakfast in the morning. You can pick up your lunch on the way back into the office or whatever. 
you can work there for a coffee in the morning. You can grab a happy hour glass of wine or beer there in the evening whilst you pick up your dinner to go home. So meeting that wide range of different foods and drink needs, I think is a really interesting one in that regard. And the other one, which is maybe my favorite store that I've, I've been in, in the past year is Dom's Kitchen and Market, which is effectively taking the best of a food hall, combining that with a supermarket and creating an environment where you just simply want to want to linger and, and want to enjoy. And that is a great platform from which to showcase different different food and drink items. So that would probably be a really good one to, to call out in that regard. A bit closer to home, I think Dublin always stands out as a great market where, again, that food service DNA flows through kind of retailers really strongly. And actually, there's some good stuff going on in the Netherlands as well. So there's lots of interesting stuff. If you're based in the UK, pretty much on our doorstep, or if you're based in Northern Europe, pretty close by, that you can see relatively easily and learn a lot very quickly. So I think there are some kind of shortcuts there to accelerate your development if you think you're a little bit behind the curve or or need to get up to speed with what the latest thinking is. So lots going on in that regard and some exciting times ahead, Michael. Gavin, that, that, that was a great, great question. I should actually have asked you. You're absolutely right. Where, where can uh, people connect with you and find out more about you uh, and the work you're doing through your business, but also your learnings and where they can follow you? Because I, I've been following you and I've learned a lot just following you on LinkedIn. And, and I think LinkedIn is, is a great starting point. So, so please do kind of reach out, connect with me on LinkedIn and, and send me a message. It's great to, uh, great to make new contacts and, uh, and to, to learn more in that regard. The other thing is my, my website is foodfuturesinsights.com. Again, more details there of, kind of the services that we provide, some of the cities that we focus on. Actually, you mentioned before there were four. There are a lot more than that now. Time for a website upgrade. But please do drop me a message on LinkedIn. If you want to email me, gavin at foodfuturesinsights.com will also work very well. Yeah, we'll put all that in the and in the show notes as well for for people to find. Gavin, thank you so much for your time and your your insights on the food retail market. Very, very, very exciting to to actually learn a bit more about these massive shifts that's happening and actually how everything is actually integrating slowly, restaurant and retail, and how the lines are getting more and more blurry. Thank you very much, Michael. It's been a pleasure. I really appreciate that you're listening in. So, if you enjoyed today's conversation, please share with others, rate, or give a review, or subscribe to one of our channels. Which all can be done via the website, hospitalitymavericks.com. I believe that reading the right books is the key to become a better leader. So I've helped you with a curated list of some of the best books to improve yourself, others, and the organization. Find them on hospitalitymavericks.com A big thank you to BizSimply for supporting us bringing great insights, strategies and tools to help leaders to become better every day. Check them out at bizsimply.com or on their socials at bizsimply or bizsimplyhq. You can also email them directly at podcast at bizsimply.com Thank you to Fina Charlson who is the show producer from the podcast Collective. If you have any ideas and feedback for the show or other thoughts, reach out to me via LinkedIn or via my email, michael at hospitalitymavericks.com. 
I'm Michael Tinkser, and you've been listening to the Hospitality Maverick podcast show. Be Maverick. <laughs>